Section three of Toto's Merry Winter by Laura E. Richards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. Chapter two, part two. The story of Chop Chin and the Golden Dragon. Who goes there? Chop Chin instantly stepped to his side and said in a low whisper, It is I, Nai Ping, second priest of the Saki Pan, bound on business of the temple. Let me pass, and quickly, for the chief priest waits my return. The sentinel bowed low, and undid the fastenings of the huge bronze gates. They swung open silently, and the boy passed through with his awful burden. Strange, soliloquized the guard as he drew the massive bolts again. I never knew one of the priests to go out at this time of night. But I dared not say anything, lest he should find out that I was asleep at my post. And now that he is gone, he added, I may as well just take forty winks, as he may be away some time. So saying, he curled himself up on the marble pavement, and fell this time into a natural slumber. Ten o'clock of a dark night. The outer gates of the royal palace were closed, though light still shone in many of the windows. Outside the gate, a sentinel was pacing up and down, armed with pike and broadsword. Every time he turned on his beat, he looked up and down the narrow street to see if anything or anybody were approaching. Suddenly, as he wheeled about, he saw before him a figure which seemed to have sprung all in a moment out of the darkness of the night. It was the figure of a boy, carrying a burden considerably larger than himself, a dark and shapeless mass, yet which seemed not to be heavy in proportion to its size. "'What is this?' cried the astonished sentinel. "'Who art thou, and what monstrous burden is this thou carriest so lightly?' "'St!' said the boy, speaking in an awe-struck whisper. "'Speak not so loud, friend. This is the celestial footstool.' The sentinel recoiled, and stared in dismay at the dark bundle. "'May the holy dragon preserve me,' he said. "'What has happened?' "'His celestial majesty,' replied Chopchin, threw it in anger at his putter-on of slippers yesterday, and broke one of its legs. All day my master, the chief cabinet-maker, has been at work on it, and now he has sent me with it by nightfall, that no profane eye may see clearly even the outer covering of the sacred object. Pass in, said the sentinel, opening the gate. But tell me, knowest thou how it will fare with the putter-on of slippers? He is cousin to my stepfather's aunt by marriage, and I would not that aught of ill should befall so near a relative. Alas, I know not, said the boy, hastening forward. I fear it may go hard with him. The sentinel shook his head sadly, and resumed his walk, while Chop Chin crept softly through the courtyard, keeping close to the wall, and feeling as he went along for a certain little door he knew of which led by a staircase cut in the thickness of the wall to a certain unused closet near the celestial bedchamber. While all this was going on, the Emperor of China, the great and mighty Wasong, was going to bed. He had sipped his night draught of hot wine, mingled with honey and spices, sitting on the edge of the celestial bed, with the celestial nightcap of cloth of silver tied comfortably around his chin and the celestial dressing-gown wrapped around him. 
He had scolded the chief pillow-thumper because the pillows were not fat enough, and because there were only ten of them instead of twelve. He had boxed the ears of the tire of the strings of the nightcap, and had thrown his golden goblet at the principal pourer, who brought him the wine. And when all these things were done, his celestial majesty, Wasong, got into bed, and was tucked in by the finishing toucher, who got his nose well tweaked by way of thanks. Then the taper of perfumed wax was lighted, and the shade of alabaster put over it, and then the other lights were extinguished, and then the attendants all crawled out backwards on their hands and knees, and shut the door after them, and then his celestial majesty went to sleep. Peacefully the emperor slept, one hour, two hours, three hours, discoursing eloquently the while in the common language of mankind, the language of the nose. At last he began to dream, a dreadful dream. He was in the golden temple, praying before the jeweled shrine. He heard an awful voice, the voice of the golden dragon. It called his name. It glared upon him with its ruby eyes. It lifted its crowned head and stretched its long talons towards him. Ah! Ah! The emperor tried to scream, but he could make no sound. Once more the dreadful voice was heard. Wa-song! Wa-song! Awake! The emperor sprang up in bed and looked about him with eyes wild with terror. Ah! What was that? That glittering form standing at the foot of his bed, that crowned head raised high up as if in anger, those glaring red eyes fixed menacingly upon him. Ah! Horror! Ah! Destruction! The golden dragon is here! With one long howl of terror and anguish, his celestial majesty, Wasong, rolled off the bed and under it in one single motion, and lay there flat on his face, with his hands clasped over his head, quaking in every limb, his teeth chattering and a cold sweat pouring from him. He listened as the awful voice spoke again. Wasong, said the golden dragon, thou hast summoned me, and I am here. The wretched emperor moaned. I, I, I summon thee, most golden and holy dragon, he stammered faintly. May I be ba bastinadoed if I did. Listen, said the dragon sternly, and venture not to speak, save when I ask thee a question. Yesterday morning, in consequence of thine own caprice in going out unannounced, thy silly shoes and thy pusillanimous petticoat became wet. For this nothing thou hast condemned to death my faithful servant Lai Chi, who has brought me fresh melons every Tuesday afternoon for thirty years. When others, less inhumane than thou, interceded for his life, thou madest reply, We swear that unless the golden dragon himself come down from his altar and beg for this man's life, he shall die. The emperor groaned and clawed the carpet in his anguish. Therefore, Wasong, continued the dragon, I am here. I come not to beg, but to command. Dost thou hear me? Yes, murmured the wretched monarch. I hear thee, most mighty. I, I, I didn't know he brought thee melons. 
I brought thee two dozen pineapples myself the other day, he added piteously. Thou didst, exclaimed the golden dragon fiercely. Thou didst, slave, and they were half rotten. Ha! And he gave a little jump on the floor, making his glittering tail wave, and his flaming eyes glared more fiercely at the unfortunate Wasong, who clung yet more closely to the carpet and drummed on it with his heels in an extremity of fear. Listen now, said the fiery idol, to my commands. Before daybreak thou wilt send a pardon to Lai Chi, who now lies in the prison of the condemned, expecting to die at sunrise. I will, I will, cried the emperor. Moreover, continued the dragon, thou wilt send him, by a trusty messenger, twenty bags of goodly ducats, one for every hour that he has spent in prison. The emperor moaned feebly, for he loved his goodly ducats. Furthermore, thou wilt make Lai Chi thy chief sweeper for life, with six brooms of gilded straw with ivory handles, as his yearly perquisite, besides three dozen pairs of scrubbing shoes, and his son, Chop Chin, shalt thou appoint as second sweeper to help his father. The emperor moaned again, but very faintly, for he dared not make any objection. These are my orders, continued the dragon. Obey them strictly and speedily, and thine offense may be pardoned. Neglect them, even in the smallest particular, and... Ha! Hum! And here the dragon opened his great red mouth, and uttered so fearful a growl, that the miserable emperor lost hold of such little wits as had remained to him, and fainted dead away. Ten minutes later... The sentinel at the gate was amazed at the sight of the chief cabinet-maker's apprentice, reappearing suddenly before him, with his monstrous burden still in his arms. The boy's hair was disheveled, and his face was very pale. In truth, it had been very hard work to get in and out of the hollow golden monster, and Chop Chin was well-nigh exhausted by his efforts, and the great excitement which had nerved him to carry out his bold venture. "'How now?' cried the sentinel. "'What means this, boy?' "'Alas!' said Chop Chin. "'Alas! Unhappy that I am! "'Was it my fault that the mended leg was a hair-breadth shorter than the others? "'Good soldier, I have been most grievously belabored, "'even with the sacred footstool itself, "'which, although it be a great honor, is nevertheless a painful one. "'And now I must take it back to my master, "'for it broke again the last time his celestial majesty.' brought it down on my head. Wherefore, let me pass, good sentinel, for I can hardly stand for weariness. Pass on, poor lad, said the good-natured soldier. And yet, stay a moment. Thinkest thou that aught would be amiss if I were to take just one peep at the celestial footstool? Often have I heard of its marvellous workmanship and its tracery of pearl and ebony. Do but lift one corner of the mantle, good youth, and let me see at least a leg of the wonder. At thy peril touch it not, cried the boy in great alarm. Knowest thou that the penalty is four hundred lashes? Not a single glance have I ventured to cast at it, for they say its color changes if any profane eye rest upon its polished surface. Pass on, then, in the name of the dragon, said the sentinel, opening the gate and bidding him a hasty good-night. 
Chop Chin hurried away into the darkness. Now, while all this was going on, it chanced that the four priests of the First Order of the Saki Pan awoke from their slumber. What their feelings were when they lifted their eyes and saw that the golden dragon was gone is beyond my power to tell. Their terror was so extreme that they did not dare to move, but after the first horrified glance at the bare altar, flung themselves flat on their faces again, and howled and moaned in their anguish. "'We slept!' they cried, in a doleful chant of misery. "'Yea, verily slept we! Ay, ay, we know not why! Wow, wow, we know not how!' Thou removedst thyself, thou raised the paw of strength and the hind feet of swiftness. Because we slept, thou hast gone away, and we are desolate, awaiting the speedily advancing death. Hong Kong, Punkawunka Woggle, Hong Kong, Punkawunka Wog. While thus the wretched priests lay on the golden floor, bewailing their sin and its dreadful consequences, there fell suddenly on their ears a loud and heavy sound. It was at some distance a heavy clang as of someone striking on metal. Pong, pong! What could it be? And now came other sounds, the opening and shutting of gates, the tread of hasty feet, the sound of hurried voices, and finally a loud knocking at the door of the temple itself. Open, most holy priests of the Sakipan, cried a voice. We have strange and fearful news. Open without delay. The unhappy priests hurried to the door and flung it open with trembling hands. Without stood all the guards of all the gates, the white and steel-clad soldiers clustering about the four black-clad guardians of the outer gate. Speak, said the chief priest in great agitation. What is your errand? Oh, priest, said the black guards, trembling with excitement. "'We heard a great knocking at the gate.' "'Yes, yes,' cried the priest. "'I know it. What more?' "'Oh, priest,' said the guards, "'we were affrighted. So great was the noise. So we opened the gate but a little way, and peeped through, and we saw—we saw—' They paused and gasped for breath. "'Speak, sons of pigs!' shrieked the priest. "'What did you see?' "'We saw the golden dragon,' said the soldiers in a fearful whisper. "'He is sitting up, on his hind legs, with his mouth open, and he knocked, he knocked!' But the priests of the Sakipan waited to hear no more. Rushing through the courtyards, they flung open the great bronze gates, they caught up the golden dragon, they raised it high on their shoulders, and with shouts of rejoicing they bore it back to the temple.' while the guards prostrated themselves before it. "'He went out,' sang the priests. "'He walked abroad for the glory and welfare of his subjects. "'He cast upon the city the eye of beneficence. "'He waved over it the plenipotentiary tale. "'Ay, ay, we know not why. "'Wow, wow, we know not how. "'Glory to the holy dragon, "'and happiness and peace to the city and the people.' But in the house of Lai Chi, all was sunshine and rejoicing. At daybreak, a procession had come down the little street, a troop of soldiers in the imperial uniform, with music sounding before them and gay banners flaunting in the morning air. 
in the midst of the troop rode Lai Chi, on a splendid black horse. He was dressed in a robe of crimson satin, embroidered with gold, and round his neck hung strings of jewels most glorious to see. Behind him walked twenty slaves, each carrying a fat bag of golden ducats, and after the troop came more slaves, bearing gilded brooms with ivory handles, and scrubbing shoes of the finest quality. And all the soldiers and all the slaves cried aloud continually, Honor to Lai Chi, the chief sweeper of the courtyard! Honor and peace to him and all his house! The procession stopped before the little house, and the good sweeper, stupefied still with astonishment at his wonderful good fortune, dismounted and clasped his wife and children in his arms. And they wept together for joy, and the soldiers and the slaves and all the people wept with them. But the celestial emperor, Wasong, lay in bed for two weeks, speaking to no man, and eating nothing but water gruel. And when he arose at the end of that time, behold, he was as meek as a six-year-old child. End of section 3